You know, me and my wife, we were talking about this study, and I'm amazed, and I might have said this last week, but I'm amazed at how many familiar scriptures that I always quoted, and just subconsciously, you know, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so I just automatically assume a lot of this stuff came from Paul's writings, and I'm amazed on how many of these things that we quote around church come out of this little five-chapter letter. It's absolutely incredible how much of God's Word out of this letter has stuck in the saints. And we hear it all the time, you know. Um, and there is just wonderful little nuggets of truth all through this thing. And uh, we managed to get through chapter 3 um, last week. And those of you that weren't with us in a quick review, it was just we were basically talking about... Um, you know, verse 11 says, For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And John compared, um, he, he took us to back to the beginning um, with the story of Cain and Abel. And we learned that that was our first murder of the Scripture. And it was a religious war. It was the first religious war in, in, the, in the Bible. And, um, you know, people fighting over what they believe is not a new thing. It actually was the, um, it's actually what started the whole thing. And, and John tells us that right there because he says, doesn't he, right there, and if you look with me at um, verse 12, it says, He slew his brother, and then it asks, Why did Cain slay Abel? Because his own works were evil, and the works of his brothers were righteous. Mm-hmm. You see? So... Hebrews, if you study the chapter of faith, which Pastor Lonnie has taken us through some time ago, that it tells us in Hebrews that the reason why Abel brought a more suitable offering, because it was an offering that was brought by faith. And the Bible says that faith pleases God. Amen? Faith is what God is looking for. God's not even looking for us to walk according to the commandments of the law. Although it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But what God is looking for, first of all, is he's looking for faith. And um, a man cannot please God unless he comes to God believing. Yes, brother. Yeah, I think he did. Abel did it and Cain didn't. Yep, Abel brought, he brought a a blood sacrifice and and Cain brought uh, fruits of his own hands, work of his hands. Amen. So, um, good stuff. So we got um, so we got through that chapter, and we'll pick it up in chapter four, verse one. Chapter four, verse one of First John. Um, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby, or this is how, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Verse 4, Now you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God. There's one of those famous passages. Amen. We use that all the time. All right, so if we go back to verse 1 here and kind of break this down a minute here, John, remember, John has been warning the church throughout this book of false teachers. And, you know, if you, if you could probably, other than, you know, salvation, Jesus Christ, you know, the inheritance of the saints, there's a lot of rich things in the New Testament for the church, but, boy, one of the biggest themes in the 
all the writings of the New Testament is this beware of false teachers. It is all through the New Testament. Um, And so it must have been pretty serious. You know, it must have been pretty serious because Jesus, he certainly um, he certainly talked about it, didn't he? I mean, he warned us in. um, Let's see. Go with me over to the Gospel of John. Keep your finger there for a minute. And go with me over, did I say John's Gospel? Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And it all started with Jesus. He warned us against false teachers all the time. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Say amen when you're there. Matthew writes here, Jesus' words says, beware of, the fa- beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. And then he asks a question. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth a good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth an evil fruit. And then he just be, continues to tell us how we will know these, these false prophets or false teachers by their fruit. All right. Paul teaches us that one of the ways that we can spot out a false teacher is they do it for money. Uh, the King James has a wonderful way of hitting something home and it calls it filthy lucre's sake. All right. He says, beware of those that preach or teach for filthy lucre. In other words, their whole motive for preaching is for financial gain. Another warning that Paul gives about false teachers is he says, beware of their immoral lifestyle. You can smell out a false prophet or a false teacher by their immorality. All right. And John is about to give us right here, which we just read, another way you can sniff out a false teacher is in verse 2 he says, Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. All right? So he says right there, how will you know if somebody is teaching the truth or not? Well, the first thing you can do is you can find out if they believe that Jesus Christ is God and has he come in the flesh. All right? Now, remember what John's gospel said. John said, in the beginning was the what? And the word was? And the word was with? God. And in the beginning, the word put on what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. What was that flesh that he put on? Go with me over to Isaiah real fast. Keep your finger there, Isaiah. And um, I believe it's seven I'm looking for, isn't it? Front, behold, the great sign, seven. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 10 of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. And um, so it says in verse 10, everybody there? Amen? Amen. Moreover, the Lord spoke again unto Ahaz, and he said, Ask for a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And then in verse 14, because Ahaz didn't really want, he didn't feel like he was worthy to, maybe he was afraid or whatever. So the Lord in verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a what? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right? 
I love this translation because it maintains the word virgin. A lot of our modern translations remove the word virgin and try to replace it with handmaiden. I don't know about you, but handmaiden is not really, a handmaiden having a son is not really a sign and a wonder, is it? All right. But the word there is virgin. A woman who has never been with a man shall conceive. All right. And you need to reject that stuff because more and more as the Lord approaches, religion is trying to bring Jesus onto the same level as Muhammad, Hira Krishna, Joseph Smith, and all the other religious people that have gone after him. They are all trying to blend them down and make them into one plane of coexistence. All right. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must reject these teachings because we God has entrusted us as the church to hold on and maintain the truth. And we're going to see John talk about that here in a minute. All right. So when he says you must believe, how do you test a spirit? Well, first, how you test a spirit is, do you believe in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14? That the Bible says that the Lord shall give a sign and a virgin shall conceive. All right. So the virgin birth. All right. The word put on flesh. And you'll be amazed at how many people out there. And a lot of you already know this. If you go out on the streets or you try to share people with Jesus, a lot of people know or believe that Jesus was a good guy. And he was a good guy. You know, they think he was like a a Gandhi or something like that. Somebody that came and, and shook, you know, changed his his is, you know, those around him when he lived. But, you know, he was more than just a guy, wasn't he? He was more than a good guy. I argued with many Muslims in Bradford, England, on this basis that Jesus was more than just a guy. They think you're blaspheming if you exalt Jesus to the level of deity. All right? And I'm just saying, hey, I'm just quoting what Jesus said, because Jesus said, If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Amen? So, that is how you test the Spirit, whether it be false. Now, take note in verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. You know, there's a lot of stuff that comes down the pike, even in church and in the world. And we're not called to believe everything that somebody's preaching to us. But John says, we must Test, or the word there is prove. Prove. How do you prove? By the word. Amen. Somebody's saying something, you be like the Bereans, and you test these things. I admonish everybody in this room, when I'm done teaching, you go home and prove the things that I say, whether they be true. You know, And, and if they're not, then you just get rid of what I said. Because... We have to be, you know, remember what John taught us in chapter 2, I believe, was we have the unction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's the one that teaches us and he uses his word to do it. So first he said, don't believe every spirit. Now, is he talking about a demon spirit? Um, What kind of spirit? Well, I believe it's all encapsulating there because, you know, we know as, as, as a person, we are a three-part being, aren't we? We have, you know, I like to say it like this. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. All right? I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. Our spirit is that eternal part that every person has. And it's true because a lot of people believe that just the... You know, when you die, that's it. But then some people believe, well, maybe, you know, the living, those that live for God, they will be raised from the dead. But the Bible declares that everybody will be raised from the dead. Why? Because every person is eternal. We're all created in the image of God. We're all created with a spirit. We all have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, kind of our, our personality, if you like. And we all have a body. And I'm amazed how our generation is continually trying to preserve their body, but they're letting their spirit go to waste. Man is so deceived in trying to bring um, beauty and eternity to this physical body that is just, it's going to fade. 
It's going to be replaced. Amen. It's weak, man. Yes. Hallelujah. So, so when he says, believe not every spirit, don't believe every spirit. You know, some, some tomfoolery that's coming across your path and he's got some new revelation that he's going to break down to you. You know, you, you just can't be, you know, you know, so welcoming to that kind of stuff. So, and that word prove, like we said, prove, it's like what you would do with metal, you know, when they, when they, they burn metal to a high heat, don't they? Mm-hmm. To find out if there's any flaws in the metal. That's where you see the cracks. That's where all the dross comes up, where all the crud, you know, and that's why the word of God is such a great thing to prove whether these things be true or not, because this word of God has been through the fire. I mean, this Bible has been through the fire. Do you know how many different emperors have tried to crush the Word of God? You know how many empires have tried to make the Word of God extinct? You know, they tried to get rid of the Scriptures. They've tried to burn them. Now, Nowadays, man in his academia is trying to corrupt them with his higher knowledge which is not a new thing. The Gnostics were trying to do that as early as the first century. They tried to corrupt God's word with philosophy. And that's why Paul said, I didn't come to you in man's wisdom. But I came to you in demonstration of power in the Holy Ghost. What man needs is not another how-to But what man needs is the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. We need the Spirit of God in our life. We don't need more information. We need illumination by the Spirit of God. Now he says, Many false prophets are gone out into the world. So he says right there, he's dealing with who are the spirits? False prophets. False prophets, whether it be their own human spirit, whether it be deceiving spirits, <coughs> excuse me, whatever the source, the bottom line is, they have gone out into the where? Into the world. Into the world. Now, you know what? I think that's pretty interesting that he says they've gone out to the world. He doesn't say false prophets have gone into the church. He said they've gone out into the world. And, you know, one of the ways you can tell a church is actually full of the Spirit of God is if they maintain sound doctrine. And I'll tell you, if a church is going to maintain sound doctrine, you're not going to get a lot of false teachers in there. Because the false teachers are in the world, amen? Hereby know you the Spirit of God. We read that already. Verse 3. Now, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come. All right. The Antichrist that should come is the Antichrist that we spoke about last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember, there is going to be. Let's go back there real quick. Keep your finger there, just to remind you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, I believe. Um, let's go at verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Say amen if you're there. So let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a fallen away first, and then the man of sin be revealed, that son of perdition. And what does he do? He opposes and he exalts. And that is a great definition of the Antichrist. An Antichrist spirit opposes and exalts. In other words, it tries, it opposes what God is doing and it tries to replace God as himself. All right? And that's what the Antichrist spirit does. It, it, it opposes and tries to replace, or it opposes and exalts himself. himself above all that is called God. All right? Or that is worshiped. So that he, as God, 
sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In other words, the Antichrist is going to do on, try to do on earth exactly what he did in heaven when Lucifer said, I shall ascend. I shall be like the Most High. Those of you taking notes, we'll go there. It's Isaiah chapter um, 14. 14. You can put a little note there next to Thessalonians chapter 4 because that's a great reference for that. And that's going to be in um, Isaiah chapter 14. And um, let's see where that's at roughly there for the I am's. I will be, I will be. Ezekiel 28. Huh? Is that in in Ezekiel? 14, 13, right? Yep, you got it. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, we'll start with. Isaiah 14, verse 12. And I'm up. Isaiah 14, verse 12. And make sure you put a note there next to Thessalonians chapter 2, because this is a good cross-reference for it. Okay, so remember, the Antichrist is going to try to do this on earth, just like he did here in heaven. Verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? All right, now, like I said, the modern translations try to use the word morning star there. And once again, even the contemporary guys are trying to remove the deity of Jesus Christ from the scriptures because the word should be Lucifer there, not morning star. The great morning star is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's subtle, but it's weird. And I don't know why it's like that, but it's like that. I remember I was talking to the youth group and I was trying to find, I was teaching out of a modern translation and you guys know I've been harping on the King James here for about a year now. This is, this is the scripture why. Because in the middle of the youth Bible study, I tried to teach the young people about Lucifer and when I turned to Isaiah 14, I couldn't find it. I was like, I was familiar with that pastor. I've been studying it my whole life. I was like, where in the world has that scripture gone to? And as I studied it out, I realized that they're replacing the name of Lucifer with the name Morningstar. And then that confused me because Revelation calls Jesus the great Morningstar. So after I saw that, I was like, well, forget this, Jack. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. So he said, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? That's what he tries to do. You know, they, they think that they're going to get strength from him. But he actually weakens the nations. When the, the Bible says the knowledge and the glory of the Lord exalts a nation. The knowledge of the Lord exalts a nation. But Lucifer weakens a nation. And he says... Verse 13, for thou hast said in your heart, in other words, Lucifer has said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. I, 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 I. I, I, I. You know what the Greek word for I is? Ego. Let go of my ego. Now, but look what God says to him. Yet you shall be brought down to hell and to the sides of the pit. That's what the Bible says. It says hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for humans. Now, there are those that want to serve Satan and his angels. They'll join him. But God did not create hell for the intention of human beings. He, he did it for this purpose right here. And then in verse 16 it says, And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. You know, when you look at something narrowly, what does it mean? It's either real tiny. It's real tiny. <laughs> when you got to squint, man, that's a tiny little thing. He says, they that see thee, they shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee. And this is what they'll be saying. Is this the man that made the earth tremble and shook kingdoms? That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of the prisoners? 
So when Lucifer is judged, I mean, he was already judged when he was cast out. But at the end of the day, before God throws him in the lake of fire, the whole congregation of heaven, including us, we will narrowly look and be like, I can't believe this guy got away with all of that. He's such a small thing compared, you know, because the glory of Jesus will be in heaven. He'll be at the right hand of God at this time. And when we see Jesus and when we see Satan, we'll be like, oh, my gosh, boy, will the Jehovah Witnesses get a sure wake up call on that day who think that Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. Boy, will they get a wake-up call from the, from the church where they believe that Jesus is just an angel, Michael the archangel. No, the glory of Jesus will be so big on that day. And when we see him in all of his splendor, and when we see this little puny thing that caused all the nations of the earth to tremble, we're going to be like, my Lord, how in the world? You know, unfortunately, me, I'll probably be thinking too, how did I let that cat get so much over on me? How did I let that guy rob so much of my life? How did I let that guy get away with that crazy? All right. So Isaiah 14 is what happened in heaven. Now, you know, heaven and earth, you can study this out, but they're very parallel. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And you'll find that whatever happens in the spiritual normally happens in the physical. All right. So in, in, in Thessalonians there of chapter two, that's what we see. We see Satan and we call him Satan. Now, Lucifer was his was his God given name before the fall. Now we refer to him as Satan or that great dragon or just the devil. All right. Well, the devil is spirit and he will, but he's not omnipresent and he's not all omniscient or all knowing and he's not omnipotent or all powerful. Those are characteristics of our God. Our God is can be everywhere at the same time. Our God knows everything. And our God has power over everything, every person, every, every demon, every angel. He has the power over it all. But Lucifer, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything and he can't be everywhere at the same time. And I was saying this to somebody the other day, you know, how can somebody in Mexico say, man, the devil has really beat me up today. And somebody over in Canada say, man, the devil really beat me up today. Well, the devil's not omnipresent. There's no way the devil can be attacking two Christians on two different continents at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, it got real quiet when I said that. People don't like it when you try to take away their ability to talk to the devil a lot. Waiting for your explanation of that. My explanation is this. How many have ever gone to church and somebody came to you and said, oh, man. Boy, it's going to be a good day in church today. The devil really attacked me. My car broke down. You know, I like I say, just reading the word. If the devil's only can be in one place at one time, I think he's got other higher assignments in the world than to take it out on my car. As I'm coming to church, I'm just, I'm a measly old nobody in the kingdom of God. I mean, I would think that he had bigger fish to fry than breaking my car down. You know what I mean? So, but what it is, is what that is though. And and me and my wife were talking about this too, is I think sometimes what we do is when we get born again, we take over into our Christian life. Now, everything that we kind of grew up with thinking about or what we saw Like there for a while, I literally thought when I first got saved that the devil was actually the king of hell because I watched a lot of Bugs Bunny. And when you were a bad person, you would go down to hell and there'd be flames and there'd be this guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. All right. And he was in charge. He was on a throne and he was like putting people, you know, he was tormenting them. And for a while there, I always thought as a Christian that the devil was the ruler of hell. Until I read the Bible. 
And when you read the Bible, you realize a lot of different things. You realize the devil is actually not the king of hell. Hell was actually created for the devil. And when he goes there, he won't be ruling. He'll be suffering just like everybody else. You know, and I also realized that hell, when I read the Bible, how many say, oh, man, that thing came out of the pit of hell. That's just straight from the pit of hell is that, (laughs) you know, nothing has ever come from the pit of hell. Everything that goes, the pit of hell is the Roach Motel. You remember what the Roach Motel is? They check in, but they don't check out. Roaches check in, but they don't check out. Everything that, everything in hell went to hell. Yeah, it stays there. And it stays there, amen. It doesn't come out anywhere else. All right. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait, well, hold on a second, Jeremy. What about Jesus? Didn't Jesus go down to hell? And didn't he come back out? Well, Jesus went down to Hades. I'm talking about Gehenna. Gehenna is the lake of fire. It's the place of everlasting torment. Nothing leaves there. Gehenna is the lake of fire. Hades is the place of what they call, um, it's divided into two chambers, Abraham's bosom. Jesus talked about that. And then we also have, we also have then Hades, which is the other part. Do you guys remember that story? And we're, we're a long ways from first John now, aren't we? Praise God. We're a long ways now. <laughs> we're a long ways from there, but in a nutshell, cause I've already started it and I've got to, I've got to dig my way out of this hole before the resurrection. Hades consult, uh, Hades existed into two compartments. There was Abraham's bosom and there was Hades or hell. It's trans hell is translated Hades. All right. Um, Gehenna is the lake of fire. Sometimes people call that hell. So Hades was divided into two chambers, aside for the righteous and aside for the wicked. Lazarus, when he went down, he was what? What was Lazarus? He was in Abraham's bosom. And then he saw the other guy, saw him. He was on the other side, right? He was on the wicked side. All right. So... He could touch, he could see, he could feel, he was thirsty, he was all these things. And this is a powerful, this is a powerful lesson because, you know, we are going to have those senses in the, in the, in the next life. This person, when he died, he also had conscience. He had concern. He was, cause what did he say? He said, when, Go, please go tell my brothers about this place. It's awful down here. If, if, if I'm going to suffer, I at least want to save my family from coming here. Right. And remember what they said. He said, man, even if someone was to be raised from the dead and go and tell him, they're not going to believe. He said they have Moses and the prophets that have testified of these things their whole life. In other words, they've got the Bible. They've read it. They don't believe it. And if they don't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe if somebody comes back from the dead and says, I saw your brother in hell. He's telling you to repent. It's not going to work. Why? What does that tell me? That tells me that the word of God is more powerful than somebody coming back from the dead and witnessing. The Bible is life. The Bible is alive. It's living. And the church cannot continue to walk in signs and wonders. You know, the signs and wonders are for the unbeliever. And they're fun. I love them. I love the signs and wonders. But a born-again Christian must use the Word of God for their pathway. This must be the guiding post of our life. We can't, we go after signs and wonders because we want God to convert the unbeliever to His Word. Because when the unbeliever says, oh my gosh, did you see that that person got healed? Yeah. Guess who did that? Jesus. Guess who Jesus is? He's the Word of God. You want to meet Him? Here He is. All right. And that's what miracles are for. But miracles will not make somebody repent. Mm. Believing the word of God is what will make them repent when they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, so we've got these two chambers. And so what happened was it says when Jesus, when he was when he was crucified, he took captivity captive. And so what that means is he went down to Hades And he said to everybody in Abraham's bosom, you guys are here because you all were believing that Messiah would come. Well, guess what? Here I am. Come with me. I got some place to show you. Woo. 
And he took them all up into glory with the Father. Okay? And then at that, and now that compartment of Hades no longer exists. Why doesn't it no longer exist? Because Jesus has already been raised from the dead. Because Jesus has already been raised from the dead, the, body, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So since Jesus has already been resurrected, when a person dies in Christ, they go straight up. They don't go down anymore. All right? Because now we're in the New Testament. The Abraham's bosom was all full of Old Testament saints. That's who was there. And Abraham, when he died, he went there. When Isaiah died, he went there. When David died, he went there. But when Jesus died, he went there and took them all and rose from the dead, praise God, and took them all to heaven with him. Amen. And when we go, when we die, we'll go and see David. We don't have to go down to Hades, Abraham's bosom to see him. Okay. so what is Hades now then? And I see some questions. I'll take some here in a minute. Hades now is a holding cell for the wicked. Anybody, well, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been to jail, you know that they have what's called city jail. And city jail is the holding tank until you get your sentence from the judge, and then he either lets you free or he sends you to county jail. And if you're really bad, he sends you to federal jail. Amen? Well, Hades is kind of like the city jail. It's like a holding place until God raises the dead. And when he raises the dead, the wicked will then be judged and then they will be sent to federal prison, which the Bible calls the lake of fire or Gehenna. All right. And that is the same pit that he's talking about right here in Isaiah 14. Praise God. All right. Everybody take a deep breath. Well, the Bible clearly says that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and things like that. So there is an, there is a kingdom of darkness that does war against. And the word that Paul used there was a rank and file word. It was a military term. So there are, um, you know, rank and files in different levels of darkness. Now they're not, um, there's a, there is a, a number. I'm, I'm sure there are many, there, I don't know how many they are. But there is a there is a fixed number, is what I can say. They don't reproduce, or those demons don't, you know, they don't they don't reproduce after themselves and they don't keep going. So but there are different levels. And I and I'm sure if someone is being resisted, we know that when Daniel was praying for the future of Israel, he was resisted. You know, things when 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 the Christian believer is trying to do things for God and they're trying to, especially when people's souls are at stake, I believe that there are demonic forces that try to hinder the believer. But I also believe there is a lot of things in our own life that hinder us that sometimes mistakenly we try to blame on evil forces. All right. Because there's a lot of things that hinder us, whether it's just our own doubt our own, you know, our own works of the flesh, the Bible calls them, you know. Um, so, you know, there are different things that hinder us. Like, I'm a procrastinator. I am a huge procrastinator. All right. Well, I mean, I'm not proclaiming it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm just saying. But if, I, if I'm constantly being late somewhere because I think there's 75 minutes in an hour, um, it's not because I'm not late because I've got hindering forces from something demonic. I'm just a bad manager of time. And I need to probably get that under control. You know, you know, that's just habits of whatever lifestyle. Do you know what I'm saying? There are different things that I'm just saying that I think sometimes we create for ourselves that sometimes we try to blame on evil forces. All right. And I by no means want to discredit that we don't need to be sober and pray against these things because Paul commands us to absolutely. But I think they have to do more with, um, you know, things of the kingdom. You know, I believe in territorial spirits. We see that, you know, that, uh, you know, you know, Daniel dealt with that. There are just things that, you know, the church has to break through on. But the most the biggest thing that we can do to break through any of this stuff the most powerful thing we can do is not, now from what I read, okay, understand me here. I read the scriptures and I feel in my heart what the Bible's saying. 
And I feel as a Christian, we have more power over demonic forces is if we invoke the name of Jesus instead of invoking the name of Satan. Okay. I grew up in Pentecost. I grew up with grandmothers shouting at the devil for 60 minutes. Devil this, and I rebuke you, Satan, and da-da-da-da. And, you know, a lot of times we're just talking about semantics, okay? They're just praying. They're just doing what they know to do, what maybe they got brought up doing. But I'll tell you what, when I'm praying and we just start worshiping Jesus and we exalt his name and we're lifting up the name of Jesus, it changes things, man. It changes the atmosphere. And he has given us his name. So I'm just, I'm, I, I prefer, and there'll be times where you need to cast the devil out of somebody. You know, we see Jesus, Satan come out, devil come out, you know. But a lot of times when you see him doing that, you don't really see him laboring a lot. No, you don't. He just basically says it and moves on, you know. And, and so, you know, those are, those are the things. So, but what I'm saying is here is when it comes to these kind of things, Focusing on Jesus in the Holy Spirit is what we need to do. Because I believe a lot of times the enemy wants to take center attention and he wants to take everybody's praise and attention off of Jesus. You know, you'll be in a church service and we're lifting up the name of Jesus and we're, we're worshiping Jesus. Holy Spirit be glorified. And then all of a sudden somebody has a manifestation of the devil. And then all, and then what would it be like if the whole church then stopped worshiping the Lord, stopped praising the Holy Spirit, and then moved over to this person and started casting out the devil? And saying devil this and devil that, devil this, devil this. Now all of a sudden, man, all of the attention has gone on this thing over here and gone completely off of worshiping the name of Jesus. That's why I like when Pastor Lonnie and Darlene and the prayer team, we got things going on. It's not because they're embarrassed. It's not because they're trying to hide something that they're afraid someone will be offended. It's because they don't want the focus and the attention to go off of our Lord and Savior while we're worshiping Him and all be concentrating on what the enemy's trying to do over here. So what do you do? You just kind of take them off to the side. Maybe take them to a room. Do whatever you need to do. You know, and, 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 and Jesus is still being exalted. Because here's the reason, and I'll take that other question here in a minute. Like we sang on Sunday, when the praise goes up, the glory comes down. You may or may not be a big fan of people like Catherine Coleman and Benny Hinn. Doesn't matter. But one thing I've saw and I've realized when I've been in those meetings is that they worship until the weight of his glory falls. And I have found, man, I feel the Holy Ghost now just talking about it. When the weight of his glory is in the room, you don't really have to do a whole lot of work. The Holy Spirit just begins to move on people. But people get impatient and they want to move on to the next thing. And, and you know, and, and I find that when his presence comes down, he can take care of things. And so what happens is they try to do a little thing over here. So we keep worshiping. And if we if we stop worshiping, it kind of lifts and it gets kind of dull and people are getting distracted and everything, you know, so. You know, it's, it's, it's good to keep our focus on Jesus. If you was to categorize what we're talking about, let's think of, you know, when we're thinking, oh, we're getting attacked, we're getting attacked. If, if you're struggling with sin, chances are it's got nothing to do with a demonic force. If you're struggling to advance the kingdom, chances are you're dealing with a demonic force. When you're finding resistance to do the work of God, that you will find is demonic. Struggling with sin is your own flesh, your own old nature, carnality. And that's probably about the best way to kind of categorize it, I find. So, so if I'm struggling with chocolate cake, I'm not going to rebuke the devil. There's three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah, man. All right, so, wow, we got real far tonight. Where are we at? John 4? John 4. Let's see if we can just read one more verse or so and then we'll quit. Paradise? Now? Well, isn't that? That's what I thought. 
Well, what did Jesus tell the thief? He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So which paradise is he referring to? Before the resurrection, where did the saints go? Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. Abraham's bosom would be paradise. So then, but now once, once, so that, that was a, that was a short ride for that thief, wasn't it? He was like, wow, it's cool here. Well, let's go. I mean, he wasn't there very long, was he, man? He's like, man, I was just getting, I was just getting comfortable, man. And all of a sudden, I got to go. Uh, yes. So he went up. So because he went, so when he died, he went down to, to Abraham's bosom, to the paradise. And then Jesus, he went down there and he rescued them all and brought them out. He took the keys. He took the keys of death. And, um, and, and you might, uh, is it called? The grave. Is that Sheol? Sheol, yeah. Sheol is the grave. All right? So um, so he defeated that, praise God. All right, so now then he says here, and I like this. Remember now, what is the subject matter in the first couple of verses here? He's warning them of what? False prophets, right? And he says, Antichrist. That's how we got there. That's right. We were talking about Antichrist. <laughs> So he says, Antichrist. Now it says, whereof you have heard that it should come. Now we've established that. That's the Antichrist that will come to set himself up in the kingdom or in the temple, just like Lucifer did up in the temple in heaven. All right. But then he says, and even now it already, and even now already is it in the world. Okay. So there's the Antichrist and there's the spirit of Antichrist. So in the world, as we know it, there are still forces that want to oppose and exalt itself above God. We see the Antichrist spirit in our education. We see the Antichrist spirit in our entertainment, in our media, you know, in our governments. So there is a there is an Antichrist spirit. And what is that? It does not want to humble itself before God. It wants to exalt itself above God and it wants to replace God. All right? Can that happen in the congregation? In the What's that? Can that happen in the, in the church? Can this happen in the church? I, I believe that, you know, there are some, you know, if it's not a good church with good leadership, you know, I mean, and you can see sometimes where, you know, people revolt. And, you know, and do other things and, and stuff. And, you know, and I've talked about that before when we were in Titus. That's why Paul told Titus, when you go to a city, the first thing he said you need to do is you need to appoint elders. And, you know, and so, you know, Paul from the beginning was full all about leadership. And the main thing, the job of the leadership is of the of the of the people who are elders is to contend for the doctrine of the apostles. And so I think that if you're not. If you're not contending for what is truth, then you can have these things maybe try to try to take over. But I would I would say most churches are, you know, drive out the wolves, you know, drive out the wolves. I mean, a a shepherd, a a true shepherd will drive out the wolves. All right. He will drive them out. Um, Look at verse four now. So we're talking about false prophets. And then he says, you are of God little children, and you have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So who's the subject matter there? You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Overcome who? The Antichrist Antichrist spirits in the world or the false prophets. You are of God and you've overcome the false prophets because greater is he, which is the Holy Spirit, All right, capital H, greater is he that is in you than who? Than he that is in the world. Now, the he that is in the world is talking about the false prophets. In other words, we don't have to go around worrying about who's going to deceive us. Oh, gosh, they're going to deceive us. Uh, Better beware. You know, you see guys like this all the time on YouTube and stuff, always trying to, like... Cut down everything that's, you know, all the different ministries in church. You ran into those guys on YouTube. I mean, they're tearing down everybody from Joel Olstein to Hillsong to, to First Baptist of Alabama. I mean, it doesn't matter who you like or who you don't like. If you go on YouTube, chances are you can find somebody pulling them down, right. rebuking them. 
You know, there used to be this guy out in California, man. And when the Vineyard and the Calvary Chapel movement was going on, what was it? I won't, I won't say his name, Lord. Okay, I, his name's right there. I almost slipped out. Then my wife was saying, hey, you better edit that tape. You know, you can't say that guy's name. Anyway, he thought it was his job to go on the radio and pick out every guy out in California that wasn't preaching what he thought was the right thing to preach. You know, and, and we said it the other week. God hasn't called us to be headhunters, man. God hasn't called us to be going around trying to look for all the different people that we can beat up. As a matter of fact, he even gives us a great promise here in verse 4. And this is where we're going to close. He says, I don't have to be afraid of false teachers. And I don't even need somebody on the radio show to tell me who's false and who's right. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Which goes back to chapter 2 where he says, you have an unction from the Holy Spirit and he will teach you all things. And you need not a man that he should teach you. Put a reference right there. So verse 4 and then tie that in to chapter 2 verse 20. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. It says, but you have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things. So the key to not being deceived as a believer is to be full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will say, that guy is a clown. Don't listen to him. And you don't need to go and start a radio show saying, hey, you know, I was sitting with the Holy Spirit today and he said that so-and-so, Bob Jones over there, Mr. Thomas, they're a bunch of clowns and you should stop listening to them. That's what he told me. That's not what he's doing it for. He's doing it. We have it so that we can be led into all truth. Amen. It's a very personal guidance from the Holy Spirit. So he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, the subject matter there, what did he say in verse one? Prophets are gone into the what? Into the world. So who's in the world? The false prophets. But greater is he that is in you than them false prophets that have gone into the world.